Hi, how are you? And I hope you're doing good. My name is Natalie Chung, and this is my podcast, Yellow Bee Pod. Hi, everyone. And this is episode 11 and the first episode of season two. If you join us in season one, thank you so much for tuning back in to listen. And if you're new, then this is a good one to join actually, because I'm going to be doing a bit of a, I guess it's like a reintroduction to myself, a get to know me, and I'm going to be answering listeners' questions. So thank you so much to everyone who asked a question. I did a call out for a like hashtag ask me anything on social media on twitter and instagram if you miss that make sure you are following the podcast at yellow bee pod to join in the conversation i have a whole wide range of questions so i'm keen to just get stuck in but before we do just want to give a bit of background to myself for those of you who are new so as i said my name is natalie i am british born chinese born and raised in the uk and i'm based around sort of london slash essex like a lot of british asians or ethnic minorities in the uk i kind of have these two sides to me. I have the British side to me and then I have the Chinese side to me and I'm trying to balance that and like mix them both together to try and figure out where my ethnic identity is. My favourite movies are Always Be My Maybe and I, Robot. The thing that I'm craving is sushi and my favourite pastime is annoying my youngest sister. So there's a little bit about me but we'll get stuck into the questions and you'll hear more. So thank you so much again for joining Yellow Bee Pod for episode 11. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever app you are listening to this on. Go ahead, open the app right now, hit subscribe or follow and make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And while you have the app open, why don't you take a screenshot? If you take a screenshot and post it to your story, you can share it with your friends and also tag us at Yellow Bee Pod and I'll reshare it. So yeah, you can post it on Twitter, on your story, wherever. Let people know that you're listening to Yellow Bee Pod and please share it with a friend if you enjoy it. Thank you so much to everyone who asked the question. Let's go. First question. Who inspired you? Mm, I'm assuming they are asking for this podcast. Inspiration. I've heard so many inspirational stories over the years. All sorts of people, my closest friends, TED speakers, and reading autobiographies. I love that. I love like non-fiction memoirs. I've specifically been inspired by those like East Asian minorities in Western countries, particularly Asian American voices. Yeah, they talk about the experiences of being an ethnic minority in a predominantly white Western country, which is my experience as well. And I listened to a lot of Asian American podcasts over the last few years, and they they were definitely a big inspiration for me to realise that actually, you know what, this is important to talk about. It's resonates with people and it's and their voices and experiences that should be heard um so here in the uk when was the last time that you saw someone that you knew was um east or southeast asian on mainstream media it's pretty rare and sometimes i feel like i only hear about them because like i was going out looking for it what is your message with this podcast I want to highlight stories from East and Southeast Asian diaspora, so people who have East or Southeast Asian heritage but no longer live in their homeland. And I know that I shouldn't really be assuming that everyone knows what Southeast Asia is or East Asia. So just to give you a bit of a run through of a few of the countries, Southeast Asia includes countries like 
Thailand, Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, a few others. And East Asia includes like Taiwan, China, South Korea, Mongolia and more. And there's a lot of people from those countries, probably millions, who no longer live in those countries, but they still identify their ethnic heritages from there. And I want to make sure that we hear those stories, particularly here in the UK. How do you select guests for your podcast? Well, we've had a real variety of guests already, and I have some really great guests lined up like that I've already recorded with. And I really wanted to share all kinds of experiences with these podcasts, so including, you know, really inspirational achievements, but also you know, the normal everyday experiences of people who are not necessarily public figures and people from a wide range of different backgrounds and industries as well. So for my future guests, some of them I already knew of, like I was already following them, their work. Some of them are friends. If I think a friend would be a good uh, partner in crime to do a fun conversation with on a certain topic like dating, then I like select a friend. Some of the guests have been recommended by other people. So if you have recommendations, and I always say this, please hit me up. I want to hear them. Um, And from now on, I'm going to be more proactive in sourcing guests who have a range of different experiences, like a real variety. So that includes reaching out to people who I don't already know. So to make sure I have good representation of different experiences, I really need to make sure that I diversify like the different ethnic groups. So several guests that I've recorded with or have had Chinese or Filipino heritage and well I've released some of those already and I still have some coming up yeah Chinese and Filipino but then as I just said like East and Southeast Asia is so much more broad than that and I really recognize I need to go out there and seek out these people and also for you so if you have recommendations of people who are Lao or is the word Laotian Lao (laughs) who are from Lao who are Burmese I know Cambodian Thai etc those are the recommendations that I would particularly like to hear and actually it doesn't have to be someone that you know it could actually be you though I'm not gonna judge you if you like come and tell me that you want to be a guest I would actually love that and I've already had people doing that which is amazing and but yeah I need to make sure I go looking to ensure that this podcast really represents East and Southeast Asians from all countries because that's what I want that's what I started this podcast for In terms of guests, a few people asked me, who is your dream podcast guest? And oof, this was a hard one. I had to actually really think about this before I sat down to record. And I don't know, generally I struggle when people ask me to pick my favourite, you know, anything, like my favourite movie or my favourite chocolate bar, anything. I find it really hard. Also, I felt like it might be a bit awkward if I come out here being like, oh my god, I'm such a fan of so-and-so and and I don't know. Well, I don't think that they would hear it, but still, like, I don't know, it would be a bit... Anyway, I shouldn't feel awkward. If anything, I should be, you know, speaking it into existence. So I do have some, I do have a few people in mind and yeah, I'm going to speak it into existence because, you know, someone listening to this right now could know them or they might know someone who knows them, you know, like Asian communities, we're connected to each other. So my dream podcast guests, if you share a publisher with them, maybe you sit in the same network with them, no, feel free to jot them a line because I really, really would love to share their stories and actually just to speak to them. So the first one is a lady called Amanda Wynn. Oh, I need to put a trigger warning here uh, and for the next five minutes. So if rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, etc, if these are sensitive topics for you, Um, You might want to pause the podcast now, skip forward five minutes. This is your trigger warning. 
Just skip forward a few minutes. Okay, so Amanda Wynn, she was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. And her story is that she was studying at Harvard when she was raped. And she had a pretty awful experience, like not just with the rape incident, but also following the incident when she was going through like healthcare and legal systems. So in terms of like reporting the rape and stuff, but because she had a difficult time, she decided to to make a change, even though she had experienced trauma herself. And she passed something called the Sexual Assault Survivors Act to help other people who find themselves experiencing rape like she did. And she founded an organisation called RISE, which also helps other people to pass laws. Yeah, she's just an all-round inspirational woman. And she's Vietnamese-American. She's just really cool. And she interned at NASA on top of everything. She always says that her first love was space. Super intelligent, groundbreaking woman. And the next one is, I guess this is kind of a similar story, um, Chanel Miller who was do you remember a few years ago there was like a really high profile sexual assault case like a court case in the US it was from Stanford University and there was a student called Brock Turner but all the newspaper reports were saying like he was like the standout Stanford swimmer athlete yeah you might remember this it was a pretty highly publicized case but you might not know the name Chanel Miller because during the whole case she was anonymous like she was only known as you know standard name Emily Doe anyway so she has a called Know My Name and it's kind of like her reclaiming her own identity and it's a memoir where she shares her side of the story which didn't get told and also she talks about the factor of being a mixed race Asian American in her identity and in the court case and actually her ethnicity wasn't known at all during the court case because she was anonymous she was just Emily Doe so when she first came out and she was actually like this is my name this is my story it was like a really big deal and I remember when she she said that and so yeah her memoir is called know my name and she's also an illustrator the next person is nadia okamoto she founded an organization called period which tackles issues around menstruation um they do a whole bunch of different things but i think it started off with providing period products for homeless people and I think Nadia Okamoto was homeless herself at some point. Uh, but yeah, also super inspirational, Harvard student again. <laughs> so there's definitely a theme here. And she's an author and public speaker, etc. Actually, while I'm recording this, I think I saw on Twitter that she's actually getting cancelled at the moment. A lot of people are getting cancelled, quote-unquote cancel culture, at the moment because of like racial discrimination or things that they've said in the past. So yeah, I don't know if I'll include this. You know what, actually... I will. Yeah, I will. I will still include this in the edit regardless of what happened because, yeah, at the end of the day, she is a woman that I've taken a huge amount of inspiration from in the past. So regardless of what's coming out now, it's still true that I took inspiration from her in the past. So, yeah, she actually is a survivor of sexual abuse as well. So there's definitely a theme here. They're all Asian American. They're all women. And they've all sort of survived sexual assault or abuse or rape. Hmm. It's a bit of a weird theme. But basically, what they all have in common is is not like the sexual assault necessarily, but it's the fact that they're all survivors and they're people who have faced the trauma. They've been super courageous to tell their own story, reclaim their voice and to create change as well, which is, yeah, the exact sort of person who would inspire me. 
Actually, let me add one more. I don't know if you know Leanne V. She's like an Instagram influencer. She's Filipino-American. She's just a bit of a social media queen. She was on Vine back in the day. Remember Vine? And now she still makes like dance skit videos on Instagram and TikTok. Leanne V. Yeah, so many classic videos. But yeah, she's so beautiful. And she's just like a real influencer to me. Like I have been following her for years. When her relationship ended, I felt like my relationship ended. And she just generally seems to have like a lot of positive energy energy from like you know being resilient through the entertainment industry and just sends out good vibes talks about being filipino real close with her family and her parents like i love that so yeah there are my four amanda win chanel miller nadia okamoto and leanne v my four dream guests and they're all american just because that's who i've been following but i'm sure there's plenty of people in the uk who are also really interesting but i just haven't been following them for years if you know anyone where i might be interested in hearing their story i would love to know them so again hit me up always looking for recommendations especially for like inspirational asian women i love that and this is good actually i never had an answer before when people ask me you know who are your dream dinner guests I always found it so hard and you know a lot of people say oh my dream dinner guest would be David Attenborough or they say some A-list celebrity and I'm just like they, I don't think that they would be that fun to have dinner with like they're interesting people but would they actually want to talk to us I don't know but yeah now I have my four dream dinner guests as well as my four dream podcast guests next question where did the name yellow bee come from Oh, quite a few people have asked me this since I started my podcast. Right, Yellow Bee is something that, well, I didn't really put that much thought into it. Well, no, I did. I, I put a lot of thought into naming the podcast because I feel like it has to be the right kind of energy, especially because I'm the one who's saying it and referring to it all the time. So I have to like it at least myself. But I think it was my, yeah, it was my younger sister who suggested Yellow Bee, we were just like spitballing ideas. And she said, why don't you just call it Yellow Bee? And then instead of thinking about it a lot, it just felt right. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. So where it comes from, it's my nickname from school. So when I was in secondary school, one of my friends used to call me, not Natalie, but Nata B. Um, I don't really know why. And I did ask her, we don't really know where it came from. But I think partly because it kind of just sounds cute. And partly because, yeah, like I'm a busy bee. I'm always up to something. And yeah, that's just a name that has stuck with me from school days, which I guess is quite a long time now. And on my last day of school, on my last day of sick form, um, everyone in my school, like it's a tradition that you come in in fancy dress. And I dressed up as a bumblebee on my last day. Bee for Nata Bee. And yellow bee, I guess there's something there about reclaiming the word yellow, which is still used to refer to East Asians, as well as maybe some Southeast Asians. Yeah, I don't really like being called yellow. One time, there was a it, this guy was Chinese, and he came to me and he was like, oh, it's nice to meet a fellow yellow. And I was like, ew, don't call me that. That sounds just so... I don't know, I don't know if it's a bit triggering to me or just a bit uncomfortable, like being called yellow. I don't know. But yeah, maybe I feel like there's definitely something there about turning the word around. If people are going to call you that, then you should also be able to call yourself that and yeah, kind of reclaim it. I'm not 100% sure about it because I don't know how I feel about being called yellow, but I'm okay with it for my podcast name because bees are actually yellow. Like bees are yellow. <laughs> so it's all right. <laughs> yellow bee pod. Next question. What's on your life bucket list? Oh, this is such a good question. And it's a good one particularly because I made a life bucket list very recently. Um, so bear with me, I'm going to tell you the whole backstory to this. When I was 
coming up to my birthday the other month. I didn't have that really classic panic of, oh my god, I'm a year older, I don't know what to do with my life. But I did do a bit of classic of, oh, what can I do now? So I started building a 30 before 30 list, 30 things I want to do before I hit 30 years old. Um, But then I was thinking and there were so many things I could think of and yeah, I just started listing them out. Most of them were related to traveling to different places and well okay this year like 2020 travel plans are mostly in the bin anyways but even for the years coming up like traveling isn't really a big priority for me it's not really how I want to spend all my time and this sounds a bit controversial or it sounds a bit weird because duh like traveling is the main thing that everyone wants to do right (laughs) I always say this I'm like I don't want to go somewhere new I'm not trying to learn about different cultures If I say that, it makes me sound so boring. But I'm not, I swear. If anything, I think it's the opposite. So I think it's really boring if you say, oh, I like to travel and learn about new cultures. Like, that is the most boring thing that so many people have on their dating app profile. It's like, okay, great. Who doesn't like to travel and learn about new cultures? That's not an interesting trait. And there was a time when I would travel a lot and it was like traveling was like a personality trait. Actually, it was more like holidaying than traveling, like shorter single trips rather than one big long trip. Anyway, yeah, during that time, I met a lot of people who were traveling because they didn't like their life at home. I think it's really common for people to be like, like if I think about up in the workplace, people always say, oh, I'm, I'm counting down the days to my next holiday. And I guess after a while, I just didn't want to be like that. I mean, it's a good thing to look forward to things, like to have a holiday to look forward to, but hear me out. So I didn't always want to have like a holiday as the main thing that I'm looking forward to. And it's almost like you're running away from your life at home. And then you get to the end of your holiday and you're dreading coming home because you you don't want to come back. Like, and when you come back, your life is still the shit that you left it in. Maybe not the shit, but you know, the boring routine. And basically what I think is if you didn't like your life before, you're not going to like your life when you come back. I don't know if this is making any sense, but basically I didn't want to be one of those people who was flying away from my problems instead of that I'd rather just stay at home and set up you know a life at home that I'm genuinely really happy with and then you can have like traveling and holidays to augment that to add something into a already great life rather than replacing your whole life or being the only good thing in your life like the best thing about your life is when you're like not in your normal routine but you're traveling it just doesn't make sense to me And yeah, because of that, when I was listing out my 30 before 30 list, I came up with so many things which were about experiences in different countries. Um, But I didn't want my list to become this to-do list. Oh, I have to check everything off and I need to squeeze in all of these holidays and trips. First world problems. I didn't want that. So I changed my 30 before 30 list into a life bucket list. So to actually answer your question, I'll share some of the things from my life bucket list with you now. And the first one is to skydive in Dubai. Um, I think that would just be so cool. Like... I've seen pictures of some of my mates who have done it and when you skydive in Dubai like it looks amazing from above like with all the palm islands. I've heard that when you're skydiving you don't actually get the chance to enjoy the view because you're you know just free falling and scared but you know the photos look cool. Plus um, I did a bungee jump jumping off a really high bridge 
and like that feeling of free falling like I still think about it a couple of years later like I still think about that feeling and so yeah I would just love to skydive and sort of have a taste of that slightly different feeling yeah so cool okay the next thing that I want to do is to I don't know if this is worded correctly but to collect rubber in Malaysia what do you call it like rubber harvesting I don't know so if you listen to episode 10, you might remember that I said that my mum used to collect rubber when she was growing up in Malaysia. And I, I don't know, maybe it's like a thing like going back to the roots, having that experience. But it's also like a random activity that you do when you're on holiday, like that you would never do at home. Like on holidays, I've uh, milked a cow or fed an ostrich. They eat sweet corn, by the way. <laughs> but it's just random things that you would never do at home or... You know, like when people go on holiday and they go to wine tastings on vineyards. Wait, no, that's not a good example because sometimes people just like to get drunk. I'm trying to think of something where people on holiday would like pay money to go do this thing that the locals would do for money. You know, like the locals would do this as a job, but then tourists come in and just want to try it out one time. And it's just really weird because the locals are like, we, this is what we do because we have to survive and put food on our table. We're just here trying it out because we think it's like a fun novelty thing. Anyway, yeah, so I feel like one day I would love to find someone who knows how to harvest rubber and then to have them to show me how to do it. I don't know. I don't even know where to do this. But yeah, Malaysia, that's the plan. Another thing on my life bucket list is to go on a silent retreat. I just feel like this would be really hard. And maybe this sounds a bit, you know, woo-woo, but I feel like I would learn a lot about myself because it will be so hard because it'll be such a challenge and um, actually a few things on my bucket list are yeah things that are outside of my comfort zone that's why it's on this list because I feel like it's exciting um, including the next one which is riding a motorcycle this is funny I love sitting on the back of a motorcycle or a scooter like when someone else is riding it and you're sat on the back like I just love that feeling the wind the freedom and you're just coasting along but this one's just funny because I can't actually cycle like on a bicycle. So I don't really have faith in myself to balance on two wheels. It might just be an accident waiting to happen. But yeah, it's on the bucket list, okay? Um, another thing on my bucket list is to sell a piece of art that I've created. This is something that I never thought I could do. Like growing up, I didn't feel very creative, but it's something that I'm enjoying more now, like painting and drawing. Nothing special, but I mean, it's still like unique, you know, and I would love to be able to create something that someone else actually wants and would pay money for. So yeah, I would love to sell a piece of art that I've created. Another thing on the bucket list is I want to get roasted at a comedy show. Like, you know, when the comedian will like pick out someone from the audience and just rip into them. Like, I want that to happen to me one day. And I guess similar to before, this is like way out of my comfort zone because growing up, I was, you know, just like a people pleaser. Like, I would always want to be liked. And getting roasted at a comedy show is kind of the worst nightmare for a people pleaser because getting judged in front of a crowd of people who are making jokes at you or laughing at you, I think it would also be fun. <laughs> So I guess I need to force myself to maybe sit front row. I don't know, who do comedians pick out? They often pick out people who are there on a date, like in a couple, right? Okay, I'm going to give you one more from my life bucket list. Uh, I'm going to pick a random, like a weird one. Okay, so <laughs> on my life bucket list, I want to be present at a birth, not my own, not just if I was giving birth. Although I guess I actually was present at my own birth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, no, I mean, if someone else is giving birth. So if there's any pregnant ladies listening, hit me up. 
I would love to come along, miracle of life. I'll hold your leg up or something. I'll be useful. Yeah, I just feel like that's such a fascinating and monumental part of someone's life, like both for the child and the mother and anyone else who's around. Yeah, I would love to be present at a birth. There's, what, seven things from my bucket list? There you go. And what's on your life bucket list? I would love to know because I would love some more ideas for mine as well. And have you done any of the things that are on mine? Because I would love to know your experiences. Okay, another question. What are your top three dim sum dishes? Ah, oh my god, this one is such a hard question. I love dim sum and it's always what we eat when we like get together as a family. Okay, right, so... When I was young, I would love the pork buns, like the char siu bao. Oh my god, please don't roast my pronunciation. I'm doing my best, okay? Yeah, the char siu bao. So that's like when you have, what is it, honey roast pork inside this really fluffy white bread bun. That's what I always used to eat when I was young. Actually, no, when I was even younger than that. So before that, I would always eat the dan tat which is like an egg tart they're so yummy like really sweet egg like a yellow tart in a pastry oh this is so hard okay dumplings are definitely the best part of dim sum 100 so there may be the shumai which is like a pork and seafood dumpling or what else do i normally order hagao they're the ones with prawns inside or xialong bao the dumplings that have soup inside Oh no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I messed it up. It's, it's gotta be the ha chung fun. So, <laughs> like the flat rice noodles rolled up with prawns inside. That is my number one for sure, 100%. I could eat three portions of that. And wait, each portion has like three rolls on it. So, I could, yeah, I could eat nine in one sitting. That, so, that's gotta be in my top three. Okay, so my top three are ha chung fun the prawns in the rice noodles. Next one I'm gonna pick dumplings. I'm gonna pick shumai, so the, the pork and seafood dumplings. And third dim sum dish. Oh, this is so hard. Okay, I'll pick one for variation. Ooh, I can't decide between the pork buns and the egg tarts. Okay, let's go with egg tarts because they're sweet. Give it some variations. They're my, they're my three. Ha chong fan, shumai, and the dan tat egg tarts. Oh, that was, that was hard. And now you know what it's like if you ever want to have dim sum with me because I'm out here struggling to pick. Actually, no, I don't struggle to pick when we actually go to dim sum restaurants because when you actually go to the restaurant, you're not restricted to three. And usually you go in a big group, so you can basically order whatever you want. That's the dream. Another question. Thank you so much for all these questions, by the way. They're all like pretty varied. So this listener asks, do you listen to Chinese rap? What are your thoughts? No, I can't say that I do. I don't even know who a Chinese rapper would be. Like, I actually can't name any. Like, Jay Chow? <laughs> There's, like, one Jay Chow song that I know called um, Listen to Mother's Words. I don't know the Chinese name. I just remember that from, what, it must have been, like, more than 10 years ago now. And sometimes I get reminded of it because on the China version of TikTok, randomly that song will pop up as a background song for these TikToks and I won't recognise it. It's a Chinese rapper, like MC Jin. Right, I think I'm going to have to ask for some recommendations. Hit me up with some recommendations for Asian artists that I should be listening to, particularly Chinese rappers, because I genuinely can't even name one song or one artist from the last 10 years. Another question. Do you regret not learning your mother tongue and do you have any language barriers with your mum? Dang, this is a loaded question. <laughs> okay, a bit of background. 
My family speak Cantonese at home. Well, we don't really speak Cantonese. We mostly speak English now. But yeah, Cantonese is the main Asian language. And my mum also speaks Mandarin, um, Hakka, and maybe some Malay at a push. Um, but I don't really speak any of these. So like a lot of other BBCs, like a lot of other British-born Chinese people, my Cantonese has faded a lot. Because we, yeah, like growing up, we just spoke it less at home. And then I was speaking English all the time with my school friends and stuff. And yeah, I rarely speak Cantonese now. And my vocabulary is pretty much at a toddler level. With Mandarin, I did go to Chinese school on Sundays for years when I was growing up. And that was to learn Mandarin. But I never really learned that much there. When I was at uni, I did two optional Mandarin modules. So that was like a good refresher. And I do know the odd phrase and like parts of the vocabulary from that but they're far from fluent I'm far from being able to speak it even conversationally and I guess it is such a useful skill but do I regret not learning it I don't want to say that I regret it because if I really did want to learn it I would be learning it right now like I would have been learning it and be able to use it a little bit so yeah I clearly don't regret it that much because otherwise I would have turned that regret into action and do you have any language barriers with my mum well, I don't think I have a language barrier with my mum because we just get used to it, you know? I know what words she knows and doesn't know in English and I guess she's the same with me when she's speaking Cantonese. And yeah, we're just used to explaining things to each other over what, the last 20 plus years. We just, yeah, we learned how to communicate with each other. But yeah, to be honest, if I met my mum now or if I met someone with the same language skills as my mum now, I would struggle because I don't really speak... Cantonese, Mandarin, any of that. Oh, plus, I think the reason why I don't really feel like we have a language barrier is because my mum is like the only person on earth that I ever use Cantonese with. So I only know how to speak Cantonese from my mum. Like, not from anyone else in my family, not from friends or even TVB, Hong Kong TV show dramas, none of that. Um, I only know Cantonese from speaking with my mum. So I don't, that's why I don't feel like I have a language barrier. What do you think is the most Chinese slash British thing about you? Damn, these questions are really good. Um, the most, let's start with the most British thing about me because I think that's easier. I think the most British thing about me is that I love roast dinners. I just love gravy all over the peas and potatoes and Yorkshire pudding. Mmm, that's so good. Uh, <laughs> and I guess something else that's really British about me is my accent. Yeah. And the most Chinese thing about me is ooh, my face. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the most Chinese thing about me is. I really struggled because I didn't even think I was, you know, Chinese enough. Like, what does it actually mean to be Chinese? Like, I still don't really think I'm Chinese enough. Yeah, what does it mean to be Chinese? I'm going to Google it. I'm going to Google. I'm Googling Chinese traits. Uh, <laughs> one of the first things says, while Chinese can be shy and suspicious. Suspicious? Don't be suspicious. Um, they can also be outgoing, generous, curious, and genuinely friendly. Well, that's just total opposites, because they said shy and outgoing. Anyone or any group of people can be either shy or outgoing. <laughs> completely opposite, that makes no sense. Actually, wait, I'm curious. I'm going to Google British traits. Okay, the first thing that comes up is a picture of Mr. Bean, okay? And, okay, the most common British traits... Number one, wearing summer clothing at the first sight of sun. I definitely do that. You know, like the first sunny day of the year in, I don't know, March or something. And then, yeah, I'm there with my summer dress on. I love it. 
Another common British trait is apologising automatically. I guess that's pretty common as well, maybe even more so because I'm a woman. I guess that comes down to like British politeness, like stiff upper lip. I don't think there's anything wrong with being polite though, I think that's a good trait. Uh, another one, common British trait is <laughs> the ability to talk at length about the weather. Okay, yeah, that's that. I mean, we can all do that, right? We get used to that sort of small talk talking about the weather just because it changes so much in the UK. Like, there's always something to talk about. Okay, let's get back on track. The most Chinese thing about me, I'm gonna search what I'm gonna search what does it mean to be Chinese. This is my search history now. This is just the classic confusion of ethnic minorities in the UK or Asians living in Western countries, like, we don't know our own identity. Um, what does it mean to be Chinese? So I'm on a website called Daily China and they said being Chinese means having your family's love and support, celebrating fun holidays, being immersed in a way of life. Well, I don't think I'm immersed in a Chinese way of life and my family don't usually do anything to celebrate like the big Chinese holidays. Not not a lot. Having your family's love and support. Oh, they say like filial, what, how do you pronounce it? Filial piety filial piety is that how you say it um that's like a really chinese trait right so like having respect for your family members your elders yeah respecting your elders yeah i guess that's my most typical chinese trait i don't know either that's the most chinese thing about me or if not the most chinese thing about me is my face oh this is so hard i guess this is why i'm so confused and i related so quickly to the british traits so maybe i I am more british than i am chinese i don't know so much confusion what do you think what do you think chinese traits are like what do you think it means to be chinese what are like the, the key chinese qualities and values and attributes i really don't know next question and this is a fun one Describe yourself as a fruit and why. Honey, I am obviously a banana. <laughs> Did you not hear my answer to the previous questions where I couldn't even think of a Chinese trait? But then I automatically just agreed with all the British ones. Okay, so a banana, if you don't know, imagine a banana. It's yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. It's yellow on the outside, so like the peel. Um, please don't call me yellow, but oh, I'm whatever, yellow on the outside, supposedly, if some people think that and white on the inside so i guess the equivalent for someone who might describe themselves as like black or brown is an oreo or a coconut which is black or brown on the outside but white on the inside actually coconut that sounds really insulting like i think that's used as a derogatory term because it's just a way of calling people whitewashed basically like a banana is someone who might look east asian but then on the inside they're culturally white but i haven't been called a banana in a derogatory way so that would be myself as a fruit um actually i heard someone say lemon recently so if you imagine a lemon like cut in half they're yellow on the outside they have yellow lemon peel but on the inside they're both white and yellow so inside they they have both like a white culture inside them plus their asian culture i don't know so maybe i'm like i'm a banana but i'm trying to become more asian and in touch with my chinese roots so i'm like a banana trying to be a lemon Are you confused? I'm confused too. But this is how confused I am about my ethnic identity or how confused we all are. Like, we really turn to fruit to try and figure out and explain our identity. Okay, but yeah, let's say I want to be a lemon. So Chinese on the outside, but taking parts from both white Western and also quote marks yellow Chinese um, inside. (laughs) 
Another question, what do you want to achieve by the end of this year? This is a mad one and you know what I realised when I read this question is that we are halfway through 2020, we are six months in. Isn't that mad? Like 2020 has not gone to plan for anyone and it's kind of like we all have this shared collective experience which is I guess kind of nice, it kind of brings people together that we've all had this shared experience around COVID-19 and quarantining. In terms of what I want to achieve by the end of this year, I think this is a good question because 2020 is not cancelled people, we can still be doing stuff that we are happy with, that we want to do, that we are proud of. If I wanted like a proper achievement, I would say, okay, I want to hit 10,000 listens with this podcast. Do you think that's possible? That's a lot of listens and a lot of people. 10,000. Do you think that's possible? That's made up of streams and downloads, I think. So it's not 10,000 separate people, but 10,000 listens. So that includes people coming back to listen because they like what they heard and they want to hear another episode. Yeah. Okay, so that's my achievement for the end of this year. And if you want to help me achieve that, please share this podcast, any of the episodes, with someone that you know. That could be someone you work with, another Asian person, you know, whoever. Let them know. Even if they're not Asian, they should be learning about our Asian experiences as well. (laughs) But I don't want to be too hard on myself because ultimately what I've been saying to myself is if I came out of quarantine, um, this sort of weird lockdown period, if I came out of it still employed, healthy, and my loved ones, like the people closest to me, are still healthy, those three things, I will count myself as a fucking winner. Like, I will be winning if I had those three things. So in terms of what I want by the end of the year, that would be a dream. The next question is a pretty specific one. Has there been any East or Southeast Asian people who have ever tried to be an MP in the UK? This is a very specific question and the answer is yes, of course, of course there has been. But it's a good question because we don't always know. And it is a good thing that we should have Asian people represented in all fields, but including politics here in the UK. Um, I've actually recorded with a guest who is lined up for a future episode who stood to be MP. Um, So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so that you see that episode and you can tune in when it's out. Uh, Should I tell you who it is? I'll tell you. You might be able to figure it out anyway if you know him. So his name is Johnny Luck and he's said to be an MP in London. I also know of Alan Mack who is an MP, so he's an MP in Havant in Hampshire and he's also the first like East Asian person who was elected into the House of Commons. Damn, that was in 2015, so think about how many East Asian people were in the country like living here for a long time before he was elected to the House of Commons. Another person that I know but I don't think he's an MP actually, is Lord Way, Nat Way. So he's a member of the House of Lords. Wait, Google says that he's not Lord Way, but Baron Way. What is a Baron? I don't know the difference between a Baron and a Lord. Do you know the difference? I really don't know what a Baron is, but yeah, some kind of like British nobility. Anyway, he's also East Asian. Um, but actually, they're all Chinese. So I went Googling and I did have a look on my favourite source, Wikipedia, for East and Southeast Asian like famous figures or public figures in the UK. Um, I found a few people. In terms of Southeast Asians, there's someone called Christina Jordan. She's a Malaysian-born, she's not Chinese, um, she's a Malaysian-born British politician and she is, or was, a member of the European Parliament in Southwest England. Another person I found was, oh god, I'm going to say this in a really like English way, Ki Gang Wu. Ki Gang Wu, 
Um, he's from China and he was a parliamentary candidate in Liverpool who stood for MP. And I kept searching and there's some more people that I found. So I found someone called Stephen Dominique Chung, same surname as me. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> he's British Chinese, like Hong Kong roots. And he stood as a parliamentary candidate for Walthamstow in London. And his Wikipedia says he's one of the youngest candidates who stood for European Parliament elections in 2009. Hmm, interesting. Looking for other people in the past, Lydia Selina Dunn. She was the first ethnic Chinese and the first woman from Hong Kong to be elevated to the peerage. Um, And then she became Baroness Dunn in 1990. What is a baroness? I really don't know what a baron is. Someone please tell me. Um, other East and Southeast Asians in British politics that I found on Wikipedia. Michael Chan, who's the Lord Chan of Oxton. He's a man from Singapore who was a member of the House of Lords. Another person, Anna Lo, who is Hong Kong Chinese. She was in office in Northern Ireland. Shouts to any Irish listeners or Northern Irish listeners. She was elected to the Northern Ireland Assembly in 2007 and she was the first and to date only ethnic minority politician elected at a regional level in Northern Ireland. Damn, the only ethnic minority politician. I don't know what the proportion of Northern Ireland's population who are ethnic minorities but that must be a pretty low number. And it also says she was the first politician born in East Asia elected to any legislative body in the United Kingdom. Hmm. But yeah, basically to answer your question, yes, there has been East and Southeast Asians who have tried to become MPs in the UK and people who actually became like successfully got elected as MPs, plus other East and Southeast Asians who have been involved in British politics in other ways. So I've listed a few there that you can Google and check out more about them. But I'm sure there are like loads more. So if you know anyone, please tell me because I'll mention them in my podcast because I think it's good to know these things. Like obviously I just did like a quick Google and just looked on Wikipedia. And just because someone isn't on Wikipedia doesn't mean that they don't exist or are irrelevant because it's sort of relying on someone like a Wikipedia editor to, you know, do the research and write their profile. And and also I was just looking at lists of like a directories of people, Singaporeans in the UK, Thai people in the UK. And yeah, I was just relying on someone else like a Wikipedia editor to have linked someone's profile, if it even exists, to one of those directories. You know, there's actually lots of groups out there who get underrepresented groups on Wikipedia because actually it's true, like, that is one of the first places that we would go to see whether someone is of importance or to find out a bit of information about them. But minority groups are one of the underrepresented groups on Wikipedia, like, if we're looking at British profiles. Um, So yeah, there's groups out there who do the research and support each other to write articles. And, you know, on Wikipedia you have to do, like, really careful referencing. Um, So maybe there should be one for British figures with East and Southeast Asian heritages. There should be a Wikipedia group for that. So like people who work together to make sure that people who are notable enough, like Wikipedia has certain rules about who can have a profile and how you are notable enough. Um, But yeah, just throwing it out there that that should exist. I hope that was a good answer for your question. But yeah, again, if you do know of anyone else who has stood to be MP or has become an MP or is otherwise involved in British politics, I would love to know who they are or if you had like an article or anything because... The more we know about these people, the more people might feel inspired to go into politics as well. And that's exactly what I want this podcast to be a platform for, to highlight people in not just politics, but in other parts of life as well. Time for another question. 
If you could give your 10-year-old self some advice, what would that be? 10, 10 years old. What was I doing at 10 years old? Okay, I was in primary school. I was probably playing Sims 2 and Neopets and watching Blue Peter. (laughs) I was a pretty cool kid, as you can imagine. (laughs) My advice for my 10-year-old self, if I could go back, it would be to be nicer to your parents. Yeah, that's a good one, 100%. I was a good kid. Like, I was pretty quiet, diligent, and it wasn't like I was doing anything really bad. Like, I wasn't sneaking out of the house or being a nuisance, except maybe being a bit cheeky. Um, But even that, like, I was a quiet kid. I would do my homework on time and stuff. Um, I think we can always be kinder to our parents. And actually, that would probably be some good advice for present day Natalie as well. If you could go back in time and speak to yourself from 10, 20 years ago or when you were 10 years old, what would you say? Like, that's such a weird question because it would it change history as well. Like, maybe I would become a different person. Like, if I was kinder to my parents, maybe I would, like, play up to their expectations more and would have pursued a completely different degree and career and maybe wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. Hmm. <laughs> What are your phobias? Oh my god, this actually came up recently. So at work, because of lockdown, we're all working from home and we're all doing loads of video calls and catch-ups, including informal like social video calls. If you're working from home, I imagine you're doing way more calls than you've ever needed before as well. Like, do you have that too? So yeah, um, we have these Friday calls with our work team. Actually, I don't even know half of these people because I don't work closely with them and I like they're based in a different office um, and they've just started doing these meetings with this like wider team because of lockdown. Um, so yeah, I don't really know all of them. So it's a like a, it's supposed to be like for team bonding on a Friday. Anyway, so each week we have a different conversation topic. So like one week we all brought a baby photo of ourselves. Another week we started bringing our favourite like chocolate bar or or putting down our favourite holiday destination. And we started doing them as quizzes. So you have to guess who submitted the answer for which one. I think the first one that we did as a quiz was the song that gets you on the dance floor. And then you have to try and figure out who would have put which song. I don't know, it's just kind of fun. Just for team bonding. So we had one for phobias. So (laughs) saying like your biggest fear. It's a bit of an intense choice, to be honest. I don't know who came up with that one. So I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing my phobias like with colleagues that I don't really know. Trying to think of like a normal phobia, like a common fear. But then like I don't really have a phobia of spiders or heights or like I don't really have a big fear of rats or blood. I don't know, like all these common fears. I don't have a big fear of small spaces like claustrophobia. So I put down fear of small holes, so like trypophobia, tripophobia, either one. So you know when there's loads of like really tiny small holes like all, all together in like a little cluster. And it's not really like a fear, but it does make me feel uncomfortable, you know? Especially, have you seen those pictures where they, I think it's edited, but they have loads of tiny holes in like at someone's fingers, like in the fingertip. It looks so gross. Oh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I thought that would be a like not too serious fear to put down for this work call. Yeah, and it's a good conversation starter. Like it's a bit of a silly one. If you don't know what it is, go look at a picture. You can Google it. And my colleagues hadn't heard of it either, so I told them to Google it. And then they were like, Natalie, what are we searching this for? Did you just put this down so that we would all have to search and get weird internet history on our work computers? <laughs> I was like, uh, I told you to Google holes in fingers, not fingers in holes. <laughs> and it was like so 
so inappropriate. Um, I don't even know half of these people. Okay, I don't know if anyone else finds this funny, but my colleagues found it hilarious. I know, I guess it was just kind of crossing that professional boundary a little bit. Maybe it was one of the ones where you had to be there. <laughs> but the real answer, the real phobia that I was thinking about telling my colleagues, but then I thought it would be too intense. I'm scared of like dying and no one finding out for ages. Like no one wants to die, right? I feel like it could happen where you die and then no one even knows that your dead body is there. Wow. Okay, this got intense, so let's not dwell on this one for too long, because it, yeah, it's pretty dark, but that's why I didn't want to bring it up with my colleagues. That's my real answer. Thanks for asking for my phobia and bringing out this traumatic thought. Yeah, if you're listening to this, don't murder me. Thanks. <laughs> Another pretty specific question. Someone asked, how do we get women into male-dominated fields? Right. <laughs> so, in episode 10, we were talking about how some industries, um, for example, engineering or manufacturing, some industries are really male dominated. And maybe if you think about the industry that you want to work in or you work in now, maybe it's male dominated as well. So I'm part of some voluntary groups which are all about promoting more diversity, particularly gender diversity in these sectors, so getting more women in. And I spoke a bit in episode 10 about how my day job is uh, covers a few things, but it's mostly helping companies and professionals work with young people, encourage them. And when I say young people, I mean school students. So talking to young students and telling them about careers that they might not normally consider. So kind of going in and inspiring them. And that includes female pupils. So making sure that they feel encouraged and yeah, that they see role models of all genders. In terms of the question of getting women into male dominated fields, it's not just about getting young people like school kids coming into the industry but it's also about yeah women at all stages of their careers coming into male-dominated fields or getting them to stay in the field if they're already in it so my answer for those working in like a male-dominated field is why should a woman come and work in that field if it's male-dominated is it going to be an inclusive environment for women if they decide to work there like would they feel encouraged would they have equal opportunities or are they going to have to deal with inappropriate behaviour or inappropriate comments in the workplace? I wouldn't want to, quote, get women into male-dominated fields if it isn't a place where they can thrive. Like, it's a job at the end of the day. Everyone wants opportunities in their career and we spend quite a lot of time at our job. So you want to be somewhere where you can thrive. That's my answer. And my main advice is if you're in a male-dominated field, or if you look around and everyone in the room is from the same sort of demographic, is to make it a good environment. Like, you don't need to have women in the workplace already for it to be inclusive. Diversity and inclusion is a bit of a buzz phrase, a bit a bit of a buzzword, but I really mean it. Like it can just be like a small thing. So okay, something practical that you can do is if you hear colleagues making misogynistic comments, call them out on it. Don't let them get away with it. Even if it's at a pub for like work drinks, call them out. Even if it's supposed to be a joke, or especially if it's supposed to be a joke, definitely call it out. And I can't speak for all women. But for me, I definitely wouldn't want to work in a workplace where there's where there's men making inappropriate comments or where women are not getting promotions. Basically, my answer is make it an attractive career for women and we'll come. Like, we have ambition. We'll come where we see an opportunity for us. But I don't want to 
you know, force loads of women to enter industries or by selling them dreams. And then actually when they start working there, it's not a great environment for them. Make it an attractive career for women. And that's how you get women or any minority group actually in a field where they're not already represented. Another question, and this one's slightly different. If you could listen to any song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm. Okay, my first thought is Nikki, who's an Indonesian singer. Oh, she's pretty young. I was only introduced to her last year. And the first song that I listened to was Nikki's song called I Like You. And over the last year or so, I've just been listening to it on repeat. I think I got hooked on it because when I first heard it, it was just the right time for me to listen to a song that's kind of romantic and angsty. And yeah, it's a chill song as well. It's nice to listen to. Actually, you know what? I know what song it would be. Um, So, you know, Spotify creates those year review list where it tells you all the songs that you've listened to the most in that year like your top 100 over the whole year i think on my list it's almost always a song by leona lewis so she's a british singer with a killer voice she won x factor when i was really really young and because i listen to her music to like relax and chill and when i go to sleep a lot as well it probably has to be a leona lewis song I don't know why her music's just like meditation for me and I used to listen to basically three of her same songs to sleep like when I was on long road trips as a teenager in the car I'll be listening to Leona Lewis on my mp3 player and yeah falling asleep I actually have a playlist with just three Leona Lewis songs on it so Bleeding Love, Better in Time and Run so a cover of a Snow Patrol song where she released her own version of that and the playlist is literally just called Sleep it's just called Sleep I know, her music is very calming for me. So yeah, I would pick out of those three, Better in Time. I think that's just really nice and calming. And well, I've already been listening to these songs and Better in Time for like, what, 10 years plus already? So that's going to be my answer. So if I could listen to any song for the rest of my life, it would be Better in Time by Leona Lewis. Is that what you expected? I don't think I've spoken about what kind of music I listen to on this. So yeah, old music that reminds me of my childhood. Okay, I'm going to hit you all with one last question. This is a nice one, actually, from another podcaster. He asked, what have I learned from podcasting? Damn. So I've been doing it for around about two months now. I've learned a lot already. I've learned a lot from each guest, from, you know, everyone has unique experiences, and I've learned a lot from them. I've also learned a lot from conversations with listeners, because they all have their different experiences, whether it was the same as mine growing up or in their careers, or something completely different. So I learned a lot from all the great conversations I have with listeners on social media. I learned that I wasn't the only person who was looking for content like this. I always felt like my other British Asian friends didn't really care about Asian representation to the extent that I did. And so yeah, I'm not the only person looking for content like this. So thank you so much to all of you who are listening. It was really great to, and almost surprising because I wasn't sure about the reception. Um, But I'm really glad to know that now that people are interested in content like this. What else? Um, Oh, when editing, I've learned how loudly I breathe. ridiculous Um, you you can just see it like every time I go to start a sentence I like take a breath like (gasps) oh god I shouldn't have pointed it out because maybe you're going to start noticing it now I also when I edit it I've I've learned what my voice looks like so particularly when I say filler words like um or when I laugh 
I know what that looks like in waveform. I can 100% recognise me saying um or me laughing obnoxiously just by looking at it on my computer screen. Ultimately, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, the main thing that really makes me feel more fulfilled and confident and just makes my heart warm is I learned that I can really do this like I can really create something if I want to and I can describe myself as a creative which I've never done before and so since starting this podcast I've been surprised I guess that I can really do something and be consistent and work hard if I put my mind to it And I'm not saying that to be like, oh my God, I'm so great, because so can you. Like, I hope I can share some of my newfound confidence with you guys who are listening, because I actually never really thought that I would be a podcaster or whatever, or a creative or any of this, or, you know, create a platform where people would actually be interested to listen or to share their stories as guests. And if you had asked me at the start of this year whether I would start this podcast, an idea I already had in my head I would have thought yeah I guess it, I would like to but I don't actually think it would happen um I don't really know why but here I am fully fed podcast and season one complete you're joining me right now for season two and we have a whole host of really really exciting varied guests coming on I'm so grateful to them for sharing their stories and I can't wait to share it with all of you that's my one big takeaway that I can really create something that I want to if I put my mind to something I can do it and you know what so can you you can surprise yourself too you can absolutely do whatever you put your mind to and I think that's a good question to end on wow what a positive note Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, episode 11 of Yellow Bee Pod. I am so, so grateful for everyone who is coming on this journey with me. Please make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever app you are listening to. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also share it with a friend, whoever. I keep saying this, but I think most of the people who find this podcast, they find it just like on social media or because someone else has told them about it. But then I also know that there's a lot of people out there who might be interested in listening but they won't be able to find it without your recommendation so let them know of course i'm always keen to hear from listeners so please drop me a message my dms are open on twitter and instagram at yellowbeepod or email yellowbeepod at gmail.com so thank you so much for listening it's been your girl natalie and i'll catch you very soon for another episode bye